You're here with a mission, sir? I am. Trying to get me back in the world? Trying to save it. You think you're the only superhero in the world? You've become part of a bigger universe. You just don't know it yet. What if I told you we were putting a team together? Who's we? I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. This is now playing's The Avengers Retrospective Series. The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Earth's Mightiest Heroes type thing. Part of the now playing Marvel comic movie series. Well, I guess that's worth a look. Hosted by Arnie. You think we're strange? Yeah, I do. Good strange or bad strange? I'm not quite sure yet. Jacob. Oh, I still don't think you're the god of thunder. But you ought to be. <laughs> and Stuart. Complicated fellow, isn't he? What are you prepared to do? At NowPlayingPodcast.com, we will be reviewing all the Avengers movies. Iron Man. I'm just not the, the hero type, clearly. The Incredible Hulk. He was a freak accident. The goal is to do it better. Iron Man 2. Never has a greater Phoenix metaphor been personified in human history. Thor. You're big. Fought bigger. Captain America. How many of you are ready to help me sock old Adolf on the job? And ending with a weekend of release review of The Avengers. I have an army. We have a Hulk. Let me emphasize that what I'm about to share with you is tremendously sensitive both to me personally and the army. This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. Listener discretion is advised. I've always been more curious than cautious. So, are we going to do this? Gentlemen, you're up. Today, we discuss Thor, starring Chris Hemsworth, Natalie Portman, Tom Hiddleston, Anthony Hopkins, and directed by Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> I am Arnie Arnaldoso, co-host of Outplay. <laughs> Uh, Stuart trapped at the Renaissance Fair. <laughs> and this is your vain, greedy, cruel podcaster, Jacob. So here we are in medieval times. I gotta say, this always felt like the weirdest one, the Doctor Strange, if you will, of this particular arc of Avengers, the one that wasn't like all the others. You know, I can get guy puts on a magic suit, fights crime, sure. And then super soldier serum makes guy green and angry or an American badass, sure. That all could fit on the same screen. Norse god of thunder <laughs> coming from outer space to be their friend? How the hell are they going to do this? It's been really a source of curiosity. I did not see Thor when it came out, but it is the one I have been most concerned and curious about. I guess as far as a comic book stance goes, I'm willing to go with it. I mean, this is, again, Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, Norse gods, but kind of a sci-fi twist. And much later with Walt Simonson, he did an epic run where it originally was this cosmic tale. Almost, I know this is going to make you cringe, Stuart, but almost Green Lantern-esque of going through space and meeting Alia. I mean, no. yeah, it, you're taking this Norse mythology, but you're giving it this little twist that it's not gods, but you're space gods, you're cosmic. Marvel has has this cosmic tradition, and I think this was the roots of it, of telling these big outer space stories. Ain't nobody in Marvel going to outer space yet except the damn duck, and that didn't go so well. <laughs> 
Hey, don't forget the Fantastic Four. All right, I did. But they were astronauts. They weren't <laughs> flying on their own accord. But you're right. There is a little bit of that there, too. Out of all the Marvel heroes we've dealt with, Thor is one that anytime he'd show up in a crossover, I kind of be like, oh, God. This guy, he talks like a Shakespeare reject. He got the hair like he's half of the Nelson twins. I just never got his appeal. And every so often I could like him in a comic that he appeared in, but nothing in my life ever made me want to read a Thor comic. What about The Incredible Hulk Returns, that movie you recommend for the awesome battle between <laughs> Lou Ferrigno? One of the greatest fight scenes. <laughs> it really was terrific, wasn't it? I'm still thinking about it. As I take the hammer to my head. Hey, I stand by what I said, but it certainly wasn't the Thor from the comics. It was its own thing in that TV series, and I kind of liked what Bear from American Wedding did with it. But I was a little nervous going into this. Here's something no now playing listener would ever guess about me, though. I love Shakespeare. I'm like this closet Shakespeare freak. I own a bunch of Shakespeare DVDs and Blu-rays. Kenneth Branagh, one of my favorite adapters of Shakespeare. Strangely, my favorite of his is Much Ado About Nothing. Only Branagh has been able to make Shakespeare comedies palpable. Everybody loves the tragedies, but the comedies are a little bit more shaky. So I was nervous, but with Kenneth Branagh at the helm, I was willing to give this the benefit of the doubt, and I went opening weekend to see it in IMAX 3D. Um, repeating myself, wasn't very hyped to see it, ended up going to see it anyway, <laughs> like all these Marvel films thus far. No, here's the thing. I agree, Artie. Thor is a hard sell, even in the comics. There are certain takes of him that I really like. I mean, after all, this is the God of Thunder. He brings down the lightning. He has a giant hammer. In a universe where there's space aliens with ray guns and billionaire industrialists with robot suits and super smart scientists that could stretch or have web shooters, this dude shows up with a hammer to take on evil. And like, just like Doctor Strange, Thor is metal to me. Like, throw on some Led Zeppelin or some Slayer and just do a fun story. So, there is a glimmer of hope that maybe I would just get some crazy action, brutal film. I know now we're in really ramping up to the Avengers. So I'm learning my hopes are being dashed that we could get something like that original Iron Man where we're just going to go out and crazy, do something on our own. But there was that glimmer of hope that I would just get an awesome movie full of action and a guy hitting ice dragons with a hammer. And that's what really got me out to see this film opening weekend. Well, I already copped that I have a passing fad for the character as mythology. I liked Norse mythology when I studied mythology, and, but I really haven't thought about it since sixth grade, and I don't know him as a comic book character. I'm going to forgive him for that TV movie because it really has no place here in this Avengers world. But at this point, at the time that that movie had come out in summer, we had already released the duck. We already knew that we were building the, to this Avengers movie, so why see it now when I'm going to have to just see it again in another year? I skipped theaters entirely. I was fine seeing it for my first time on DVD. 
I agree with you, Arnie, on Branna. He is the real selling point for the, a tricky character. I mean, I think that Branna is a shaky director. I'll be honest. I think he's made a lot of bad movies, but his rep really was made on how he made Shakespeare accessible to people that don't necessarily go or watch or read Shakespeare. And, you know, when you look at the early ones, Henry V and Hamlet and, yeah, Much Ado, I do feel like he is able to make difficult language and foreign-seeming characters feel very contemporary and exciting and action-y. And that's why you would hire him for Thor, is that you'd want him to take a similar property with similar detriments and make it mass-acceptable. He's not a very conventional choice. I mean, I don't think he's ever successfully made a big, splashy Hollywood picture like this. As a director, primarily, I don't think of him taking on something this ambitious before, and there's no telling how it would turn out. And I can mostly think bad things. You know, if you ever saw his Frankenstein, it's really the pits. It's as bad as it could get. I couldn't make it through it. But you said the same thing about Favreau and Iron Man. I honestly think the Marvel Studios are bringing a comic book production sensibility to their movie studios where they're not going to pay a lot for this movie. They're going to try to find people who have talent but still work cheap. Yeah. And they're also very disposable, as Norton and later Favreau and perhaps very first Terrence Howard have learned. Much like comic book talent, Marvel Studios thinks the stars are the characters, not the people behind the characters. So... For me, Branagh fit, and I became more interested in this movie when I heard it was him, because I'm like, you've got this guy who talks, you know, vows and thighs and arts and all that, and it's like, if somebody's going to be able to pull it off, I think it's going to be Branagh, and... Because of my affection for his previous works, I do like some of his modern day stuff too, but specifically his Shakespeare stuff, I thought Thor had a chance. I also suggest for people who are trying to find out more of Kenneth Branagh's directorial oeuvre, Dead Again, recommend. Well, why don't you tell them how much Shakespeare is here for them to digest, Narnie? What speaketh thou about the plot? (laughs) Well, it is more based on Norse mythology than Shakespeare, but in short, the Asgardians are a race that live in a realm called Asgard. There are nine realms, Earth is one of them, and over a thousand years ago, the Asgardians had come to Earth when the frost giants from Jotunheim tried to invade. (laughs) I hate when they come from Jotunheim. It's okay. I thought it was Odenheim for the first time I saw this movie. Everything's named frickin' Odin. I don't know why it's not called the Bifrost. They're frost giants. That's what confused me. Because <laughs> he would get very confused, as if I weren't already. The Asgardians saved humanity by fighting off the frost giants in a major war, and the humans in Norway worshipped the Asgardians as gods. When the war ended, Odin, king of the Asgards, had lost an eye in battle, but the Asgardians were victorious over the Frost Giants, and in the wake of the battle, Odin took from the Frost Giants the Casket of the Ancient Winters, the source of the Frost Giants' powers, as well as Frost Giant King Laffy's son. Odin raised the Frost Giant boy as his own, named Loki, but Odin's natural-born son was Thor, crowned prince of Asgard, a terrific and brave warrior, but somewhat foolhardy in his lust for battle. 
As Thor was about to be coronated king of Asgard, the ceremony was interrupted by the Frost Giants breaking into Odin's vault to steal back the casket. The Frost Giants are slain by the Destroyer, a giant mechanical guard in Odin's vault, but Thor is thirsty for revenge, for answers, and for battle. So against Odin's orders, he leads Loki, proud warrior Sif, and the Warriors 3 to Jotunheim and starts a new Asgardian Frost Giant war. They're almost slain by the Frost Giants, but saved at the last minute by Odin, who punishes Thor by taking away his power and banishing him to Earth. He also sends Thor's hammer Mjolnir to Earth with the prophecy, Whoever holds this hammer, if he be worthy, shall possess the power of Thor. On Earth, Thor has to adjust to human life while working with a physicist student Jane Foster and her professor Eric Selvig, while being investigated by S.H.I.E.L.D., who have taken over the hammer site. Truth is, it was all a ploy by Loki. Loki manipulated Thor into going to Jotunheim. Loki allowed the Frost Giants into the vault. And Loki told Odin about Thor's transgressions. And once Thor was banished, Loki realized he was a Frost Giant. And Odin explains that Loki was taken as a baby and raised in the hopes of being the one who could bring everlasting peace between the Frost Giants and the Asgardians. But when Odin falls into the Odin sleep... And Jacob will have to tell me what that is. Loki is made king of Asgard. However, Thor's friends are suspicious of Loki and sneak to Earth to rescue Thor. Loki gets pissed and sends the Destroyer to kill Thor off, and Thor sacrifices himself to save his friends. However, with that selfless act, he became worthy, and Mjolnir flies into his hand, and by the power of Skull, lightning strikes, and Thor is back in his princely outfit. He defeats the Destroyer and goes to face off against Loki, who is using the Bifrost Bridge, the method by which Asgardians travel between realms, to destroy Jotunheim. Thor saves Jotunheim, but has to destroy the bridge to do it, cutting him off from Earth and Jane, with whom he'd fallen in love. Yeah, I thought Natalie Portman was in this movie. I didn't hear her anywhere in that plot. <laughs> I mentioned Jane earlier. She was the <laughs> physicist. <laughs> I make my point later. <laughs> Loki and Thor do battle, and Loki falls off the side of a bridge and into nothingness, and Odin awakens from the Odin sleep to find a more level-headed but melancholy son who thinks often of Jane. But in the end credits, we see Professor Eric with his old friend Nick Fury, and we'll talk about that, too. So, we said this movie's a hard sell. I kind of think Marvel thought the same thing. And so they're like, you know, Iron Man worked out pretty well. Let's just make that movie again and call it Thor. Thank you, Artie. I had the same thoughts going into this. Hey, we'll do a quick introduction to the character, then boom, flashback and backstory. Uh, I'm not getting a whole lot of Iron Man out of this at all. I hear what you guys are saying. I don't think it is meant to remind us of Iron Man. I think it is meant to hold on to me so that when you launch into the Norse world and Asgard and all of the lore, as it were, that you don't lose the people that are there just for a cool action movie. And I feel like, yeah, they need to set it on Earth first just to keep us hooked, even though this story really isn't about Earth much at all. No, and one thing I like, it's not an origin story. Thor is. It's a coming-of-age story, but all of the Marvel movies that have started a franchise to date have been, here is a person who becomes super, let's show you how. Here's the problem is that this is really kind of a hybrid interpretation of different Marvel versions of Thor. 
I mean, this isn't the the classic 1960s Thor when they created the character or stole him from Norse mythology and made him a superhero. This isn't quite the ultimate universe version we talked about in the Hulk, how they kind of use some aspects and characterizations of the Hulk from that universe. It's kind of a hybrid, kind of not. I mean, his origin story is how he is not going to be a dick going around just slaying anyone he wants because he's angry at him. I'll just go ahead and say it. This is not reminding me of Iron Man at all. It's reminding me of Green Lantern. And that's not a good thing. But it is very much the similar setup of, we have all this intricate stuff happening in space that involves overloading you with mythology, but every now and then we need to throw in some beefcake and some sex jokes and rom-com play to keep everyone else into the theater. Ouch. And I think that this movie has a real problem, much like Green Lantern, same summer, too, striking that balance between it. I don't feel like it's Thor's origin story. I feel like it's him on a blind date. (laughs) You're not wrong. I think that as we go through this movie, it is kind of cliched. It's a fish-out-of-water story. Not very superheroic, but we've seen this a thousand times in other movies, right? Sure. And I don't think the impulse is bad to put it on Earth. I think it might have been too much to have the thing entirely at Asgard. We need an in, right, for people not into Norse mythology, not into the comic book. We need an in to know how it relates to us. And that is what Jane and New Mexico are supposed to do. I mean, they lift an action moment right out of Twister here at the beginning to try and get us excited. And Marvel needs an in for this character, too, because he's going to have to interact with the human team. Good point. It would be one thing, I think, if they had made him first. You know, if he was the first one, they would have freedom to do whatever. But they are very consciously aware that they need to tie this in to three other movies. Let's keep in mind also, though, that if this was entirely a movie about Asgardians set in Asgard, other than the Runfair folk you were talking about, Stuart, you wouldn't get a big, broad audience. Lord of the Rings was kind of big. Yes. I think you could pull it off. It doesn't need to be on Earth. If there's human-like people on the screen, I think we could go with it. We have imaginations. Yeah, but Lord of the Rings is one of the biggest books of all time. Thor, based on a comic book, I mean... I don't know how many people would see Thor and think Marvel Comics. I think people would see Thor and think Norse mythology and think, honestly, Clash of the Titans of the Norse version. Yeah. Which made enough money to make a sequel. Yeah, they could have done it. They could have made a Thor movie that works, that would exist within the realm that he lives in. And instead, because they're tying it into Avengers and because they are going for that broader audience, they have bridged that gap with modern day America. I mean, I don't even know why this is happening in New Mexico. The next scene, we find out that they have ties to Norway. Wouldn't it make more sense to have this happening in Scandinavia? Why are they in... One of the hottest places in the world instead of, you know, where North mythology actually originated. Because they needed a lot of desert space to build a really bad fake looking town? <laughs> I don't know. Seriously, it's a legitimate question. Why New Mexico? Why are we here at the start of this movie? I have no idea other than it was expansive. They do have good tax breaks. So go ahead and say that about New Mexico. You're thinking about bringing your future there. They'll work with you. But (laughs) why are they here for this story? In the comics, 
Asgard exists on a slightly different plane just above Oklahoma, so maybe they just transported it over to New Mexico. You mean it's literally floating above Oklahoma? But in a different plane of existence, yes. It literally crashes into Oklahoma (laughs) in one storyline, yeah. I'm not going to go into it because I want you to finish this series off to the Avengers. (laughs) Yeah, you think I throw my headphones down and walk away? Yeah, I thought about it, but I won't. Not this far. We're close, baby. I'm almost there. (laughs) You made it through the TV era. You'll be fine. <laughs> but this opening in New Mexico, I'm enjoying the vibe I'm getting. I'm going to say this very first scene clued me into something that's going to recur throughout the whole movie and through some TV now. I love Cat Denning. Is that Darcy? Yes. Yeah. She's one of the few things I like in this movie as far as the actors go. Why do you like her? She brought some needed comedy for me. Out of all the comedy in here, hers seemed the most unforced, the most genuine. Yeah, I like her snark. I like her down-to-earth take on the events around her. I liked her sarcastic commentary that went through. I guess I'll get this out on the table just up front, and then we can go through the podcast. I loved Natalie Portman in The Professional and have hated her in everything since. (laughs) And yes, I know she's in three Star Wars movies. Show me one she was good in, please. Natalie Portman consistently is a movie star that I enjoy watching who isn't in movies I like. I mean, I really can't think of a movie I go to and say, wow, I just love that movie. If she's in it, chances are that she'll have a moment or two that I love, but I feel like she is yet to really find her thing. And that includes Black Swan. I know it's a highly popular movie, but I thought she was tremendous in the movie. I was not a fan of that movie. I constantly feel lately that she's supposed to be the star of the film, but she's shown up by actresses who are more game and more energetic on screen. I think that Portman is just such a reserved actress that she never really comes across as very enjoyable to watch. In Black Swan, which you mentioned, I thought Myla Kunis should stole that show, really. And Winona, to a degree. In this one, I think that Kat Dennings was so much better than Portman, was so much more fun to watch. And hell, even Jamie Alexander in her minor role, I liked scenes with Sif far better than scenes with Jane. I wanted to see Thor and Sif hook up. When Thor was with Jane, I was checked out. And so Portman, I'll give her two movies. I'll give her Garden State and I'll give her V for Vendetta and The Professional I already mentioned. But really, I'm into Kat Dennings this movie more than Jane. Jane is boring. I mean, she's a plain Jane. And I don't buy her as a physicist that's inventing some groundbreaking theory. Yeah, sorry, Portman, you're not the one to pull that off. No one is. I'm not going to blame Portman here. This is a very thinly crafted character, barely a character at all. Does she have any comic book roots? Oh, come on. You think the Senator Gary Shandling, he was some (laughs) little character in the comics, but Jane Foster, the nurse to Thor when he was in his human form, Dr. Donald Blake, this is the Lois Lane to Superman in the comics. Whoa, really? Okay. See, I would have guessed they made this up for the movie and this reads like a thin graft a very thin graft of what's her face from twilight ouch bella Bella? yeah bella this is twilight to me i mean it's twilight with a little 300 thrown in (laughs) oh okay all right but this is just the very first like two minutes of the movie is in new mexico next we find out the whole history of asgard and the asgardians is this 
true to Norse mythology? Are there frost giants in Norse mythology that were by King Laffy and... I don't remember any of this. The only thing I feel like they got right that I remember is Odin losing his eye. And I don't think it was exactly this way, but I like that they worked that in here. I like seeing Anthony Hopkins again. I think this was a great choice. He's the kind of actor you could imagine being in a Shakespeare production or being in a big Hollywood movie. And he is able to exist in both worlds. And consequently, he works in a part that, okay, he's not the most physical person at whatever age he is now. But, you know, he's always kind of played old to me. And if he could eat somebody's face off in Lecter, I'll believe that he could be king of the gods. Why not? I'm happy to see Odin missing an eye and in battle. I, too, like Anthony Hopkins, and he has a very commanding presence. You believe he could be king? Plus, he's English. I mean, the accent goes a long way when you're dealing with Norse people. I wasn't so keen on this conflict here. I, what's this stuff about the casket that makes frost giants powerful? Like, They're frost giants. Why do they need a laser beam to make frost? <laughs> How do they remain frost giants if they don't have their magical frost machine? Aren't they just giants then? <laughs> <laughs> they were still able to make their little lobster claw ice weapons. I didn't quite understand what the casket gave them. And why were they trying to take over Norway anyway? It was already cold and frosty. Up there. They didn't need a new home. No, it wasn't. Is that why it's cold now? Because the frost giants were there? I think that we actually witnessed the icing over of a, a very green and, you know, never mind where it's positioned in our globe and that it would be cold anyway. No, it was green and, and lush until the frost giant showed up at 965 AD and then it became a tundra. I think that's what we're supposed to accept. A little revisionist environmental history. I don't know what we really gain in learning all of this stuff. I think it might be a mistake if you're not going to have the Earth part of the story take place in Norway. I think it's kind of a mistake to have them be in Norway. I guess it just establishes the fact that these gods have a relationship with humans, that even though they live in the other of the nine realms of existence, that there is still some protector status. There are guardian angels. They look out for us. I think this had to be there because there's no way to write off the fact that these are our myths. These are human myths. And so you have to come up with some reason as to what we call Thor's Day Thursday and Frida's Day Friday. And also, there's a hell of a lot of stuff going on here that you need backstory to because of the way the story unfolds. The Frost Giants are a faction. Earth is in play. The Asgardians have all this stuff going on. It's a very easy way to bring us up to speed, kind of like Iron Man's Tony Stark as a Child montage. But the battle doesn't take place on Earth. The end battle, when it's time for these frost giants to fight the Asgardians, it's not going to take place on Earth. It will only take place in Asgard. And I'm wondering, as I do many times in this movie, why we go to Earth. I think the frost giants were going to take over Earth. And because the Asgardians liked coming to Earth and throwing some lightning around and being treated like gods, they defended the humans, their pets. And the final battle, I thought that was in Jotunheim. It seemed kind of cold there. I thought they fought on Earth and they took their toy away and went back to their houses. Was that just all on Earth? Yeah, that's what I thought. Yes, that was my take on it. Okay. The frost giants just started freezing stuff and then the Norse gods show up and beat them. And the fact that they would bring a baby there is kind of bad parenting. I don't want a dog working mothers, but you don't bring your baby into the battlefield. Oh, when they find Loki, you mean? I thought that was on 
Odenheim. No, he went to Jotunheim for the casket and the baby. Oh, you're sure of this? Yeah. So he invaded. They're being dodgy about the fact that they actually invaded their enemy's territory and took their stuff. They plundered them. Yeah, a little. Okay. I think that that would read better. I feel like they want to make us like these guys and say these are the good guys, but it might be a little more honest to say that Odin raped and pillaged, and the idea that he just found a baby lying around that nobody was taking care of, that makes no damn sense. I mean, if he had sired a child out of wedlock like Zeus does all the time in those myths, that I can buy. But this whole backstory setup is bizarre and phony baloney. The whole point is Thor's kind of a jerk and disobeys his dad, so his dad kicks him out of this town. You have to go into this complicated of a backstory to get to that point. I don't know if this is the way you go about it for a two-hour movie. Particularly when you have a lovely location. I'm just going to give this movie its biggest props I'm going to give it. Asgard is beautiful. It's Pandora beautiful. I didn't see this movie in 3D. I kind of wish I did because I love the aesthetic and the art direction when we finally get to their homeworld. I think this stuff looks good. I want a whole movie here. I'll say this is the first movie I watched on a home TV that had the 3D on it. I kind of thought that 3D on a television couldn't be as good as 3D in theaters. It's phenomenal in this movie. I wasn't that impressed with the 3D when we saw it on IMAX. Maybe it was too big and I just couldn't appreciate the depth. The 3D in this, even though it's a post-conversion job, it was filmed in 2D. But the 3D on this was tremendous on my home system and just not even a very good home system. So I recommend seeing this in 3D. But on your TV. But on your TV. Yeah. Which is the only place you can right now. Well, no, I guess they're doing the big marathon, AMC, and doing a big marathon for Avengers if you want to take a day off work. You switch glasses between the Iron Man ones and the 3D later Marvel ones? (laughs) (laughs) I do like Asgard. I like the aesthetic. I like all the art direction. Nothing about it looks real, though. No. You mentioned Avatar. Avatar had a reality to it that this land doesn't. This feels about as real as the grid from Tron. No, yeah, it's a created, crafted world that feels artificial. I agree with that, but it's lovely, and I'm not going to knock it because I know that it was the handiwork of computer technicians. It still is lovely to look at, and it is where I feel like this story is rooted. And every time it is happening there, I am rooted into this story. But when it is happening on Earth, I am not rooted into this story. I really thought that it would be a hard sell for me to see Thor in a flowing red cape and chainmail and Loki in a giant horned helmet and all this stuff I knew was coming. They didn't even put Loki in the helmet in the trailer. And they only had Thor in his helmet for about five seconds of this movie. Yeah, I think that they were afraid it would be a hard sell. I thought it would be a hard sell. But the way it's introduced and as vivid as the color is in this picture, I'm really grooving on it. I think Thor looks badass. Yeah, and this is what I liked about the comics is that crazy design. Like, we're going to take a Norse god and he's going to have his big old red cape and you're going to have Loki in his green suit with his giant horn helmet. It's so crazy. It's kind of awesome to look at. And so I'm glad they went with that aesthetic here, that they did try to make it more realistic that, yeah, we're going to have Loki run around with giant horns on his head. Yeah, they go for it and it works. And I think it is the right choice to just go big and to create a new world. Yes, I am fascinated and astounded and I'm totally with Asgard. I have no complaints on this part. And you know what? It takes the right 
kind of star wattage here to pull it off. I, I dare say you'd look like an asshole if you didn't have <laughs> someone that could sell that suit. And I don't know Chris Hemsworth. He has basically been Kirk's dad, right, up to this point? Star Trek? Yeah, and in the one we reviewed, but he made very little impression on me back then. It wasn't much to do there, but hey, this is star-minting material. We haven't seen the likes of this since Hugh Jackman did Wolverine. And yeah, I would say if they get one thing right in this movie, is they sell us on this character and this actor. This actor pulls off this feat. I buy this Thor. I buy him physically. He doesn't have a lot of attitude to me. Yes, I know he riles up four or five people to go fight some giants. This doesn't seem like the cocksure son of the all-father to me, though. Yeah, he's got some nice abs. No, come on. He is totally cocky. I love his performance. I don't think he's built enough. I think that when I saw him, I mean, Thor in the comics is built like the Hulk. He needed to be Lou-size. And here I'm looking at this guy, I'm like... He's in shape, he's muscular, but he's not big. He's not bodybuilder. I don't know if I want a bodybuilder playing this character. As unimpressed as I was with Hemsworth, if you put it, you know, an Arnold or a Lou or some other unknown bodybuilder, I would have been walking out probably. Yeah, I'm talking about connecting with it. I mean, every time you put a muscle guy in there, they seem like a special effect and one that you don't relate to. You might relate to them only in the sense that, oh, I wish I was that strong or I wish I could bag that babe or whatever, but you never relate relate to them as a person. I think Hemsworth sells the character of Thor here. I feel like what you're saying, Jacob, might be problems with the writing, but I don't think it's a problem with the performance. See, I agree. I think his performance was great. I think he comes across as cocksure. I love it when he flips the table and he's rallying the troops to go battle in Jodenheim. Yeah, we see him and he's twirling the hammer. He won me over right from the get-go. I get the cockiness right there. He's twirling the hammer and smiling. And, you know, it can go wrong. You can calibrate that and you end up with the Thor that we had in that Hulk TV movie. But it's this tricky balance. Everything that he's got to go through in the course of this movie, the humiliation of going to Earth and all of that, it's a silly part. And what I'm complimenting is, is that at no point did I think this was a silly character. That's funny that you mentioned how you got him right away from throwing the hammer, because that made me roll my eyes. I'm like, there's his characterization. He walks in to become king, and he flips his hammer, and the crowd goes wild. And that's how we know he's cocky, and, but people love him anyway, even though he's a rascal. But it worked for you. He's a rock star. I love him as a rock star. Yeah. I mean, how would you introduce him? Sulking? Sullen? Brood? I mean, we need a quick answer. God knows we don't need 20 more minutes of backstory or the tales of him growing up. We need to know very quickly he jumps from being three foot tall to being this guy. We need to know very quickly who he's become in all of those times. I get it. And I'm with him throughout the movie. I agree. I'm going to side with Arnie. Great performance. Yeah, he's this movie's Robert Downey. Any other actor in this role could have really screwed it up. Not knowing this guy, I went in very skeptical. He won me over in 15 minutes, and an hour and a half into it, I'm still enjoying watching him. He pulls off the action, he pulls off the physicality, if not the size, and he's funny when he needs to be funny. He has good timing, he has good instinct of how to play. He's a good actor, I'm going to say. Well, maybe my problem is with the writing. I mean, there's a scene later on where he's on Earth and he wants another cup of coffee. And he- I love that. See, to me, that again, 
Oh, ha ha. He's a fish out of water. He thinks he's on Asgard still. Ho hum. So maybe my problem was with the writing and I'm just taking it out on Hemsworth. I could take him on, you know, not face to face on the anonymous Internet because there's no way I'm taking him on in person. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's a tall guy. I've actually seen him. The poor man. I'll go ahead and share this to promote this movie actually appeared at gymnasiums across Los Angeles with one of those carnival sideshow things where you take the hammer and you hit it as a strength test and the little thing goes up to the bell and he had to stand there with the hammer and like cheer people on. I felt really bad for him. He, I'm like, if this is what it takes to be a star, man, woof, I wouldn't want fame. But, you know, <laughs> I wasn't prepared for how confident he was dealing with a silly character. That Earth stuff is very silly, but he sells the funny, he sells the action. I mean, this fight scene that we get in the early part, I think he's as good as anybody else that's done one of these Gerard Butler or any of these kinds of swords and sandals moments. He's as good as them in that moment. Better than Gerard Butler, in my opinion. Better than most. Because I've seen probably all of these swords and sandal things done in the past 10 years. This is the one I like. It's a good scene. I do like the frost giant battle. I'm waiting for the moment where Thor takes that hammer, throws it through some frost giant's hand, it comes back to him. Because he doesn't, at least originally in the comics, he doesn't actually fly. It's he moves the hammer forward, and it's so heavy, it has such momentum, it just kind of pulls him through the air. So that moment where he flies through that giant beast's head, like, that's the Thor moment I'm waiting for. That's the money shot for me, and you gave it to me too early in this film. I like it because it shows us what he was. They're going to take away his power. You have to see him at his peak to understand what a loss that is. And it's because we see this money shot when he goes through the back of the Rancor's head that when it goes away, you understand his loss. When he does the shouting at the heavens moment, you know why. Because you saw him as a god and he has to become a man. Yeah, and I think these are credible foes here, too. There's something about the makeup effects of these giants, the size of them, that they are giants. It makes the fight seem a little bit more threatening, even though Thor pretty much takes care of them pretty easily. I believe that this is a fair fight or a good challenge for him. I'm actually concerned that some of his friends aren't going to make it. You know, he has the merry men that have decided to accompany him along. Who are these people? He calls them brothers and sisters. I guess that's metaphor, right? They're not biologically his brothers brothers and sisters. No, the, I mean, the Warriors three, they're his companions. It's his friends. And you have Sif, who on again, off again, flirting, love interest. I mean, these are all warriors. These are who he goes to battle with. Or Jackie Chan, Xena, Robin Hood. I think that's how they get labeled when they come to Earth. And that's how kind of how I think of them, too. I actually really like these characters and wish there was more of them. The scenes they have, I really get an impression of the tropes that these actors are portraying and i think they do so well and i really wish that there'd been more exploration there were quite a few deleted scenes and they all had to do with these four plus renee russo oh renee gets dogged in this but we'll get there yeah (laughs) so there was more of them and they became more distinct that way i like what these actors are bringing to the roles though i think that what little is left in the final cut shows a lot of fun and again Stuart, you said this about dr strange i said it about iron man i'll say it again if these characters as are portrayed on screen are like this in a comic i want to read about thor sif and the warriors three 
I always enjoyed Volstag. In the comics, he's almost like a round ball, just the merry man that's always eating. You know who's playing him here, right? The Punisher. Ray Stevens. Yeah, Warzone. The Punisher yeah. here is playing the jolly fat man. I didn't know that was him. You can't tell. There's a lot of no. hair on that man in this movie. Yeah. I knew he looked a little too thin for the role, but he's very fun with his constant eating. They seem like a band out of Lord of the Rings for me. This is where I'm getting that Lord of the Rings vibe. But I feel like this is Thor's fight, and I feel like it would be stronger in terms of storytelling if it was Thor alone going to take down these people. I got it done without all these friends. I feel like they're here to hit demographics and sell more toys. I just don't feel like they're in service of too much. They don't do anything other than back up their bro. Yeah, these characters are sequel material, right? This is who we expect to see in Thor 2. Thor, you expect the focus to be on him, not all these background characters. Right. He's the one that gets punished for going to Jotunheim by Hopkins. He's got to be the old man to bail him out of jail when he gets in over his head. I just feel like these other people, if they're not the biological children, uh, Odin has no beef with them. It's not relevant. I think that as two characters... It fits because they do serve an important purpose of communicating information to Thor later on. The fact that there's four of them is what makes it seem a bit much. Had it been Sif and the Warrior 1, it might have worked a lot better. Maybe I ought to look at the bright side. They're a hell of a lot better than that posse that hangs out with the Ghost Rider villain <laughs> or, you know, some of those sea stringers in X-Men. The finger. The finger, exactly. They could have been that, and they're not that, but they are superfluous. I do feel like they are there to fill out the cast, but not because they fill out this story. And then, yes, Odin employs tough love and kicks his son out so he can grow up. Anthony Hopkins banishes his son to Earth. I, I presumably, he thinks that his son is going to learn something there, right? Is that why he throws the hammer to the same location? Is that he does want his son to learn and then get the hammer back? He's not disavowing his son. He's teaching him a lesson. He's not cutting him off, right? Yeah, he's teaching him a lesson. It's you need to think of other people than just yourself. You know, if you're going to become the all-father like I am when I go take my Odin nap or my Odin sleep, you have to understand you can't just go in war with everyone. And this is how you're going to learn that lesson in the traditional marvel universe he comes down as donald blake a crippled doctor and he does find the hammer in norway you know they make some donald blake jokes but the original origin is he's wandering around as a doctor not knowing he's thor for quite a while and that's how he learns to become selfless and so here we catch up to where the movie started with natalie portman hitting thor with a car and i enjoyed this movie when it became a romantic comedy I enjoyed it when it was just a comedy with Darcy tasering him and then reloading the taser gun. I enjoyed that stuff. Darcy steals every scene she's in. I want to arrest her and give her the chair. You don't like Darcy. <laughs> no! Are you kidding? I don't like anything here on Earth. This stuff is not horrible. It's horrible! I mean, this stuff is horrible. This movie doesn't just get bad. It goes to the shitter when they are on Earth. I really enjoy this stuff. In fact... I like the Earth stuff better than the Asgard stuff. I really oh, do. Wow. I think that Asgard was needed to frame a story, but for me, this story takes place on Earth, and this movie becomes fun when it becomes a fish-out-of-water tale. Now, is this original? No. Is this clever? No. But with the performers we have, particularly Kat Dennings and Chris Hemsworth and Stellan Skarsgård, 
And Natalie Portman, I think you're short shifting <laughs> her. I think that she's doing as good as she can with shit script. I think the others did better with the same script, but yes, together it's wrote. We've seen it before, but I'm enjoying seeing this god depowered. It's two tropes in one. It's the superhero loses his power trope with the fish out of water trope. My problem with the fish out of water thing is that, first of all, we had to wait, what, a half hour to get here, and he's going to get repowered pretty quickly. I mean, I don't count when he's running around beating up shield guards to try to get his hammer back. I don't think that's really fish out of water. You know, you get the moments when he's at the cafe and he ate a whole box of Pop-Tarts. Like, to me, that's the real fish out of water moments, and you don't get a whole lot of them. If you wanted to go for that type of comedy, I'm there. I'm willing to go with it, you know, as long as Darcy's around to make the jokes, but you don't get a whole lot of them. I guess that's my problem is that we get some Asgard stuff, we get a few fish out of water, let's get to some action scenes, let's get back to Asgard, let's show some frost like it's just so much in this film it's just jumping all over the place it needs a focus my problem is not that we need more comedy i can tell you that i wasn't here for the comedy i wasn't expecting the comedy i knew that they'd have to have a little awkwardness if they're going to introduce this character into earth it's an awkward situation i thought it might be five minutes or less of the jokes it really is splash at this point it really is star trek four isn't it hilarious that he is in modern day but it's even awkward in that because he's not in a modern day city he's not dealing with the height of our technology he's in a town of six thousand in the middle of nowhere and he really no one cares about anyone anywhere so what he breaks a mug in a diner and he tries to hire a horse at a pet shop it plays to nobody and it's not funny to me it plays to me yeah, no, I agree. I think you're always more game for the 80s fish out of water comedy than I am. <laughs> yes, you said it plays to nobody. I'm just here to defend nobody then. No, 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 Arnie, you didn't understand what I'm saying. Uh, there literally are no people to play this off oh, to give reactions oh, okay. to. I thought you were saying nobody would find this funny. No, this movie made a ton of money. I'm not saying <laughs> nobody liked it. I don't know why people liked it. Well, I'm here to tell you. But this town's not big enough to make the reaction shots worth anything. Nobody seems to care that this Norse god is walking around. It Literally, he's playing to Kat Denning and Natalie Portman and, I guess, to Stallone. I, Stallone looks bored here. I felt bad for him. I don't think he looks bored. I think he's actually part of it. I mean, this is the guy who we saw in Deep Blue Sea. He's come a long way since then. Uh, he's the guy from Lars von Trier movies, but yeah, he was in Deep Blue Sea and those Exorcist prequels. <laughs> yeah, best now playing review ever for Stellan Skarsgård. Come on, he was also in Goodwill Hunting playing a professor. I mean, is this a sequel? Is this his next smart student, uh, Natalie Portman, somehow being a physicist? No. No, it's not his next smart student. <laughs> no, she's this kind of scientist that's more concerned with getting moony-eyed. And again, I feel very, very bad for Natalie Portman that every reaction shot has to be, Oh my God, Thor, you're so big. I mean, there's not one moment where she gets to be a scientist, nor does any of her research that she keeps trying to get back from S.H.I.E.L.D. have anything to do with the plot. There is nothing about what she is learning and what her experiments are about that have anything to do with what Thor is trying to do. She is literally there to be googly-eyed. Even worse, Thor has to come in to tell her what her research means. (laughs) (laughs) By drawing a picture of the Nine Realms. Yeah, go sell that to the next astrophysicist convention and see what kind of looks you get. I agree. I complained about Gwyneth not having enough to do in the Iron Man films. Natalie Portman wishes she had as much to do as Gwyneth. 
Indeed. It's a bad straw to pick. She picked her Hollywood project. You know, she looked at the other Marvel properties. These are credible people. Brano. I can see the appeal here. She couldn't have read the script. <laughs> she couldn't have read the script and said, I want to do this after I win my Oscar. Well, we'll be doing Catwoman, and someone chose to do that after winning their Oscar. <laughs> yes, we will. But this was before Portman's. I mean, this was filmed before she got it. I know. Yeah, that's true. I'm just trying to say, put it in perspective, you won an Oscar, and the next thing people see you in is this. And it was one of the better things I've seen Portman in. But not for her role. But hey, she has good association by being part of a hit. I don't have a whole lot to say about it other than the humor worked for me. I liked the hospital scene where he's like, I am the mighty, and then he passes out. Funny. I like that he gets hit by a car again, that Jane's driving. Yes, he gets hit by a car twice. Slapstick. Funny. I think we're back to this Incredible Hulk Returns review. You guys were liking (laughs) that comedy stuff with Thor then, and I was hitting it then. I mean, I didn't like Thor at all then. It's an improvement that I now like this character, but I don't like the situation. Stuart, Thor even goes to a bar with a scientist. I know. We don't get the hijinks, but... I was really waiting. Like, the only reason to go to a bar is to have a dance scene or a fight. We got neither there. I was so surprised when it didn't happen, but believe me, both hands were gripping the armrest going, please don't do it. Hey, Skarsgård is Norwegian, right? He's got a bond over some mead or a boiler maker. I like that scene too. I like the camaraderie. I like that Skarsgård isn't cast as always saying no. He's usually the responsible one, but at the end, he'll go bail Thor out of shield jail and have some drinks with the guy. But he's not having drinks with the guy. He's actually there to kick him out. For reasons unknown, he doesn't want him distracting. What is Natalie Portman to him? His pupil? His protege? The woman he wants? I don't understand the relationship at all. I don't quite get why he's out there. He doesn't even know who Kat Dennings is because at one point he goes, you're a science major and Portman has to tell him, oh, it's political science. She was just the only one who would apply for the job to help us. So I don't quite know what it is. I also think Portman's a little bit old to be a student. Maybe she's like studying for her PhD and this is her mentor. Yeah, this is grad school work. Yeah. This is not undergrad. Right? You're discovering wormholes and that's just your PhD work. You know, <laughs> It's ill-defined to be polite. So you admit that this is really lame. This scenario is lame. What you're enjoying is that it's light and it's fun. Correct. Stuart, I think I said that's the only thing I'm enjoying thus far. We all agree this is bad, though. In general, this is a bad, bad plot. I'm bored. I've had a few chuckles, but mostly I'm bored by this point. I'm completely entertained. I realize it's very trite, but it's all about the execution. I mean, I've been called out how many times for enjoying romantic comedies. They're formula incarnate but it's all about the execution of that formula this is a formula that i'm enjoying seeing executed and i agree with you it is all about the execution thank god we have these actors thank god we have portman and hemsworth doing this instead of i don't know affleck and garner or norton and tyler or nick cage and eva mendez and the magic eight ball dinner no we're not even talking about that but yes that is my point is that even though i recognize this is horrible 
I am not hating this movie, largely because I'm enjoying these players. And that's really it. Because I can't believe that we're still in a Marvel movie at this point. It, like I said, this feels like Twilight to me. This feels like this is an entirely female-centric story about how this woman's going to deal with her crush on a Norse god. And the fact that he is a Norse god, well, that's not even really a debate. She gets over that relatively <laughs> quickly. Oh, magic science. What's the difference? He's hot. You know, like that's, that's what it comes down here how embarrassing how embarrassing that this is the issue you talked about the marketing of this movie when the dvds came out i remember the ads that had chris hemsworth sitting in a shirt that had to be two three sizes too small (laughs) vacuum sealed on his body (laughs) it wasn't scenes from the movie it was him sitting in this too tight shirt discussing his workout regime and I'm like, they are only marketing this to people who will lust after Chris Helmsworth. That is their target audience to buy this movie. And it is kind of weird seeing them together. He's so big proportionally to her. I fear that he might hurt her at some point. <laughs> Thank God there's not a love scene because he might actually break her in half. But they do have good interplay. I will give them that. I don't like that this interplay is happening, but they make the best of it. It's lemonade out of very sour lemons. I still, I always say this, I don't get what they see in each other other than she would think he's hot. What would a god see in her? She's hot. Natalie Portman is a beautiful woman. Yeah, did you see those hot chicks of Asgard? He could be tapping Sif. (laughs) There were some hotties up there that make Natalie Portman look doggish. Most of them were with Robin Hood, but... And Darcy's got the personality. Yeah, come Darcy. On. Darcy's the one. Oh, come on now. I'm not even sure Darcy swings that way, but <laughs> whatever. <laughs> well, just to remind the audience that this is a Marvel movie, Agent Coulson shows up and the rest of S.H.I.E.L.D. I love the story about Agent Coulson. The guy who plays him is Clark Gregg, who just got the gig in the first one, a throwaway role because he was a friend of Favreau's, gets called back for number two, is told to say a line, I'm going to New Mexico. The actor doesn't even realize he's in Thor. They haven't given him a contract. They have him saying he's going to New Mexico, and he's like, why is my character going to New Mexico? Because you're in Thor. I am. And now he's like the face of the series. He's in Avengers. He's all over the place. But... And Stuart, before you ask, I'm surprised you haven't asked yet. No, Coulson isn't from the comics. He was oh. made up for Iron Man, which surprised me when I looked into it. And I'm sure Marvel's probably written him into the Marvel Universe now in the comics. He's probably appeared somewhere. If not, he will be when this Avenger movie comes out. But yeah, totally just made up for that Iron Man movie. Hmm. You know, I don't have any strong feeling about him. He just kind of plays the generic fed, you know, the men in black. He's that guy. He's human enough that we identify him, recognize him. I think it's helpful that it's the same person popping up in each movie. I like that aspect of it. Uh, The character, I could take or leave. I really didn't like him when he was babysitting Downey in the last movie. And here, it's not much more of a fun role. He's here basically to excavate the hammer and to interrogate, I guess, Thor when he does his break-in. I love the scene of the rubes before S.H.I.E.L.D. gets there trying to pull out the hammer. Just the total hicks. And we get our Stan Lee cameo. Yeah, he's driving the pickup. I'm glad that they're sort of reducing him. I agree with you, Arnie. He's not necessarily fun the longer we spend time on him. And I don't know. I guess it hasn't been long, but there have been bigger acting challenges with him having to drink the Hulk soda. (laughs) 
Yeah, this is no longer the Fantastic Four where we get monologues by him. Thank goodness. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Even this line, it seems like it was delivered wrong. Did I get it? It's just, I don't know. It's your grandpa telling a joke you've already heard. Yeah. Well. But it's always good to see him. It's always that moment you know you're in the right movie. I guess I have a problem. There was no one that was like really good, decent person in New Mexico that tried to pick up that hammer. Like, it's not just there for Thor. It's whoever's worthy of it. You got to be pretty damn worthy, I would think. Yeah, it's Arthurian, right? They know it's meant for Arthur. He's just got to be ready to get there to do it. I mean, I don't think that he's not going to be able to do it when he's battling his way into the complex that they build around. I was guessing that that was a setup. It was a red herring that he would get there and it wouldn't work. Because what has he done to prove himself at this point? It wouldn't make sense if he's able to lift the hammer then. In retrospect, it was absolutely the right choice. But I believed, like he did, that he was going to grab that thing and fly out of there and be the superhero to be in the rest of the movie. This movie needs that oomph. God knows we've had a lot of winky winky stuff and it's time to, I don't know, be in a Marvel movie, don't you think? And we kind of get that when he goes to get the hammer. He can't get a horse, so Portman gives him a ride. Now I have a question about something that occurs here. He's getting ready to infiltrate. He leaves Portman on a rock to watch and he goes, here you'll need this and gives her his coat. And then it starts to rain, and they're actually talking in the S.H.I.E.L.D. station. There's this unusual electric storm. Did Thor, even in his powerless state, conjure the storm? I think so. Yeah, his emotionality about her bleeding over into, yeah, the storm cloud. And I think it's just, that's who he is. He is the god of thunder. I mean, he just brings that with it. Even in this powerless state, as he's drawing close to that source of power, that hammer, I think there's just a connection there that starts to create this. Or it's just bad writing to fake us out. No, I believe it's there for that reason. It's there to enhance the romance of it. Again, Twilight. I do like this fight. When he goes in and kicks the asses of the agents, this was in the real trailer, not the ladies look at my shirt trailer. And it's a good fight. And this is, again, showing that he can do the physicality without all the CGI. It's a good fight, maybe from a choreographic standpoint, but why are they letting him beat up these guys? Why would Coulson do this? He tries to stop them with everything he has. No, he doesn't, because Hawkeye's up in the cable car. Hey, congrats, you know Hawkeye. I don't know Hawkeye. Who is Hawkeye? I know that this actor has been hired to play Hawkeye, but I don't know much about the character. It's probably good we're not getting a Hawkeye movie. Maybe we will if he proves to be really popular in the Avengers, because then we get another Carney story. Raised up in a carnival, learns to be a sharpshooter for a carnival sideshow, and takes up the bow and arrow. No superpowers. He could just shoot straight really well. Okay. That's not very exciting. I think there was a <laughs> villain like that in that Wolverine movie. And <laughs> and isn't that Bullseye from Daredevil? Pretty much, but he's a good guy now. Okay. I like Colin Farrell better, but yeah. the reason Coulson doesn't have him pull the trigger is because by the time Hawkeye gets a shot, Thor's at the hammer. They've been trying to get the hammer out. This guy's obviously going for the hammer. Coulson says, I want to see what happens when he gets to the hammer. Not true. He had a bead on him, and they let him beat up on that security guard first and go out in the mud and everything. He let that guy get the shit kicked out of him. It just makes no sense to me. They either want to stop him or they don't. I think what they want is to see what he's going to do with the hammer, not if he can take down their security guards. I think also what they want is to entice people by seeing 
Chris Hemsworth mud wrestling. Yeah, we've had enough of the romantic comedy. We need some action. It's been a while since that fight at the beginning of the film. I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm disagreeing with the scene as written. They call it out later after they capture him, you know, that he has the training of a mercenary. And so I think by the time they saw him fight and take out all these people, Coulson... He's like, who is this guy? You know, I've met Iron Man. I've met the Hulk. I'm meeting all these superheroes. Maybe this is another one. Let's see what happens when he gets to that hammer that no one else can move. I mean, once Thor proves himself by taking out all these highly trained shield security guards, you know, these aren't rent cops like Black Widow took out. These are trained killers, trained military people. He's intrigued. He wants to see what's going to happen next. Okay, I'll give it that. Fine. That's what it is. And I do like the moment that he can't pull the hammer out. Now I get it. There is a lesson that has to be learned. It wasn't about just getting back to my hammer. I have to be somebody different in order to pull it out. I don't think that I thought the movie was going to go there. And so I was happy that they did. And then he's in a holding cell being interrogated by Coulson. I kind of enjoy the interrogation. Coulson is coming off as tough. He's kind of been comedic, easy to kick around in the Iron Man films. Here, I'm starting to believe he could be competent. But he steps out of the room for a minute, and we see Loki in a very nice, earthly suit. Let's talk about what Loki's been doing while we've been getting all of the rom-com stuff here. What has been happening from this side? Because I didn't get that he was a frost giant. When he was in the early battle scenes and a frost giant grabs his hand and it turns blue, I thought he was hurting him. No, dead giveaway. You see Volstagg get touched and it like burns him and he's injured and Loki turns blue and then just turns flesh colored again. It was a dead giveaway of what his origins, what his heritage was. I wouldn't say dead giveaway because when I saw it in theaters, I was very confused as to what I saw. Yeah. I knew he turned blue and then I knew he turned back, but I didn't know what that meant. Yeah. And I just thought they were invincible because another guy got an icicle through him and he lived. So I just thought, oh, they could just take intense pain and keep on running. It really isn't until 30, 40 minutes into this movie that I understand this conflict of child of Odin, not biologically. This is not from either the comics or Norse myth, right? This was made up for the movie because I've read comics with Thor in them and Loki in them and played video games. They are brothers, right? And they're both Asgardians. No, he is a frost giant. Really? Will he grow up to be... Bigger? Yeah, is he shrimp or runt? He actually, he is a shapeshifter. He's been a woman at some points in the comic. These are gods. He could shapeshift, he could pretty much look like whatever he wants. His visage as the actor that's playing him is just a front that is not how he looks. The way they portray him in the movie is how he normally looks. If you think of Loki from the comics, he looks like that guy. But there's been times that he's been a woman, that he's done different things. But he's always been a frost giant. And he didn't know that he was a frost giant until recently. So it wasn't like he was putting on an act for anyone. He found out in that battle scene who he really was. So he's been appearing as an Asgardian maybe because, I don't get it, because he saw everyone else around him looking that way, he took their form? Well, when Odin picks up the frost giant baby in the very first scene, it's a frost giant baby with those weird wishmaster ridges on his head and then as odin holds him he turns into a human looking baby ah i see so odin turned him into one of his own he took him away again i don't understand that choice does that work for you guys that odin would find a derelict baby and just say let's take it home i don't have enough mouths to feed it does, given the excuse Odin says, very Shakespearean, I 
want you to then bridge the gap and cause peace. I mean, isn't that the story of so many things of where you have the arranged marriages to provide a union instead of an arranged marriage? It's a frost giant raised among Asgardians who can unite the people. That only works if the person is agreeing to it and is a representative of a different culture. If you take him and he doesn't know where he came from, that isn't building the peace. That is assimilation. That is not saying we can be friends as cultures. That is taking away your identity and making you into something you're not. I agree it doesn't seem well thought out. But then again, I kind of think Odin the All-Father lives forever, right? I mean, he goes into the sleep, but he has eternity to make this work. Yes, so when he's confronted with it, his response is to faint or collapse or just take a nap. Is he narcoleptic? Because I don't read a lot of Thor, but every time I do, they're either talking about the Odin sleep or Ragnarok. So the Odin sleep, he has to recharge his Odin force, and that's done with the Odin sleep. (laughs) So he basically just has to take a nap for a while. He's an old man. He needs his naps. They call it out here. It's all tell, don't show. Oh, he's put off having his sleep. Why is he concerned that he kicked his son out of Asgard? I don't know why he's put off his Odin sleep, but he's put it off so long that he just passes out. Coincidentally, when Loki finds out that he's actually a frost giant, now it might be a coma because he didn't take his nap soon enough. Uh, The Odin coma. Yes. I was convinced that Loki had done something to drug or poison him. That if Loki is engineering all of this takeover of the throne, it would be the next logical step. Well, I kicked out the guy that was supposed to take over the throne. Why don't I put the guy that's currently in the throne out to pasture and then who can challenge me? I was confused to find out that, in fact, he didn't want this to happen and that we'll ultimately learn the plot is trying to please this man. And there's actually a cut scene when Loki is given the throne and Loki didn't know that was going to happen. I always took this until I saw this cut scene as this was Loki trying to get the throne and take the power so that he could, yes, make his father proud. But when you see this scene, it means that Loki isn't really all that smart. A lot of this is happenstance. And this is a problem for me. Loki is not evil enough of a villain in this movie. No, he's got good motives most of the time. I mean, he's supposed to be a trickster god. And here it's, no, he's, you know, he kind of says he made a joke after someone else tripped and fell on their own. You know, (laughs) nothing's very thought. I, I really feel like we had the Dark Knight come out and you had this version of the Joker that could calculate these great pranks. He could almost control people's will in that movie. We'll talk about it later. But I kind of feel like they wanted to go for that. Oh, Loki had this master plan the whole time. But when you think about it, it don't make any sense. I'm guessing that this was a selling point for Branagh, that the villain wasn't really a villain. He's a tortured Shakespearean character that is bad for these reasons and circumstances beyond his control and fate. And you know what? That's all nice that you're trying to bring the Shakespeare guy in to class up your act, but it don't work. And I feel like, yet again, we have another actor who's doing the best he can with a shit part. You know when it really isn't going to work? When we see Avengers and now he's like leading an invasion. What? That is not the same type of evil. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, well, you know what? I'm not going to judge Avengers before it's due. Maybe they can justify it. They haven't set it up. I'll tell you that. If this is the setup movie, they did not set it up. Of all the movies we've seen, it feels like because Loki is the face villain in all the trailers, this is the one that is Avengers prologue the most. And I don't see it with this guy. I don't see him as a baddie enough. Abomination makes more sense as a villain than Loki. It's Loki, huh? Loki's the bad guy? Yep. I don't want a bad guy that actually is kind of a good guy and is trying to do good things. I want a bad guy that's a bad guy. I want people fighting, and I want evil destroyed in my Marvel Avengers universe. It doesn't work for me, what they're trying to do here. If the plot had been that the Frost Giants would indeed kill Odin, I would think Loki is evil enough. Yes. As it is, because the whole plot is to kill the enemies of the Asgardians, only at the end, and we'll get there when he starts killing the Frost Giants, does he really seem to have gone off his rocker. The rest of the time, it's more like he's just a bad kid who wants to try to use his bad skills to make his dad proud. I'm going to agree with you, Arnie, that it really is a problem when they want to put a twist on it again. We know Loki's bad from the get-go. From the minute we see him, if you know anything about the character, or even if you don't, that he's hiding in the shadows and that he's being eclipsed by this vain, bigger guy, you know he's the bad guy plotting for all of it. What doesn't make sense is that he doesn't want the power. He wants the approval. He has the throne. Why create a bigger skirmish, particularly for a guy that's not even there to witness it? He's in a coma. You can take out his enemies. He's not going to see it. It's, they, it's a mess. They actually say he's aware. So he does see it even though he's in the coma. Okay, they can say that, but it doesn't translate. That's the problem with having your plots talked out, is that movies or show don't tell. And I feel like they are trying to be too clever here with this battle for the throne. The other thing is, in the midst of this battle for the throne, Loki finds out he's a frost giant, and that doesn't alter his plans. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know what to say about that, but I wasn't even sure that it, he was a frost giant, or maybe he was an earth baby that had some frost giant on him. I mean, Get some frostbite. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's not satisfying. I can tell you that much. It's not enough. I like what I get here, but I want more. I want more evil. I want more why. I'll tell you what I don't want is him to go get Gort and have him do the battling. But that's what happens. We're an hour and 20 minutes into this movie. The friends have gone to Earth. And they show up on the doorstep. No explanation. They just know where Thor is. It's terrible. I mean, it's a small town, I get that, but... Again, there is a cutscene. They show up in the same place where Thor showed up, and there's only one city in sight, and they go, it must be there. How do they know what store to walk? I, I mean, yeah, I guess there's only one old-school car garage that's been transformed into a scientist lab in that town in New Mexico, but how do they know to just knock on the glass and get your little comedic scene with them waving awkwardly? I do like that scene. It's funny, but... I like any time the Asgardian friends of Thor are on there, I like it. It is very Xena or Hercules in that Renfair comedy way, but I'm enjoying it. I like these actors, I like their performances. That is the difference between you and me. I don't care for this band, I don't like what's happened. You know, Thor is making breakfast now, and he's kind of a neutered earthling, yes. and this is his humility now, is that he has to make scrambled eggs for Cat Denning. I guess that would be humbling. She isn't very <laughs> appreciative. But it comes down to we've been waiting for a battle now, for about an hour since a life-or-death-stakes battle, and they send the 
the robot. That robot is badass. I love the Destroyer. It's huge. It's powerful. I wish there'd been an army of them, but... I do love the line, is that one of Stark's? I don't know. He doesn't tell me anything. That is great. It's a great reference. Yeah, why do Asgardians have robots? Because their science and magic are the same thing, even though this robot is hollow and just has fire coming out of... No, maybe it's nanotechnology. But magic and science are the same for them, which just means it's science. It's stupid. I hate it. The only way this movie could be more Twilight if Portman gets a crush on it. Is that the Jacob of this movie? Like, that, like she did that, and she's like, which one do I love? Thor is Edward destroyers jacob yes i think so are you team robot or team thor I- i'm team volstab <laughs> yeah, rooting for the underdog <laughs> please back me up this is a very lame enemy for them one of their own robots comes down to kill them let me disagree with you Stuart. this is the one time we've seen the destroyer early on in the movie he like pokes his head out and yes. takes out three frost giants with one shot like this is a menacing thing this is what i want to see okay now we have neutered thor he doesn't have his hammer he doesn't have his powers cool let's see how he's going to take on this badass robot that just looks at you and you die you're setting up an interesting conflict for me at least I'd like to see my heroes in danger. I like to see them have to face something that is going to be hard to beat. And I agree. I like this. I like him. I think he is bad enough. I mean, he takes out all four of the warriors and Thor as a human has to fight him. I think it works for this setup. I think he's cool design. I don't know him from the comics, but I understand the destroyers are pretty big in the comics. I like the way he fights. I'm pro-Destroyer all the way. Okay. What I'm not pro is how Thor, I guess, finally, his final embrace of humility by clearing out a few hundred townspeople. This town is so small, it seems like it's almost abandoned. You never really see that many people around. And he helps a few people into their truck and then gets bitch slapped by a robot. Now he's worthy. No, no, it's not that he helps people. That's not what gives him humility. It's that he has the choice to make war and he chooses not to. Which is only impressive if you have a weapon. But he don't have nothing. So what else could he do? He's immortal now. Wait, he goes one step further. He walks up to the robot and knowing Loki can hear, sacrifices himself. He's like, all right, kill me, leave the others out of it. And Loki agrees. He's like, okay, I'll kill you. And then the destroyer goes home. So you just have to have a messiah complex to become a Thor. Not a messiah complex, a selfless soul. Yeah, he's willing to give up his own life to save everyone around him. A messiah. That's kind of what Jesus did. They're both gods. There was nothing else he could do. I don't think it's a convincing change. If the whole thing was he needed to learn humility, I thought it was more impressive that he was helping people save their own lives instead of picking up some guns and trying to shoot this thing down. It just doesn't seem big enough for this god. Not to mention, I can tell you, when they make Thor 2, he's not ever going to make this choice again. He's never going to walk up to the bad guy and go, you can kill me. I'm all right with it. Just don't hurt anybody else. That's not his new MO. I actually think you're wrong, Stuart, but we'll see before this series is out. Yes, we'll find out. I look forward to that. But he does give up his life by getting bitch slapped, which is humorous. Uh, I'm on Stuart's side now, but okay. <laughs> I don't mean humorous as in intentionally humorous. I mean, it's like, all right, that's how he dies. But then, yes, I referenced He-Man in the beginning. I find it amusing that the hammer comes to him and brings clothing. Yeah. Come 
come on. I like this moment. I enjoy that. You know, finally, I'm getting what I want. Lightning and hammers and hitting. I'll even give props to Portman. I like her line delivery of, oh my God. I do too. I'll give her this moment when she is asked if that's a normal look and says it's a good look. It's bringing back some of what I liked about her in Garden State for the only time this whole movie, I feel like she's loosening up a little. Maybe because she's trying to keep a straight face because there's a guy in front of her in chain mail. <laughs> I pity Natalie Portman. Yeah, having to work with Jake Lloyd must be rough. <laughs> and, you know, he can't even give her a full-on can-you-read-my-mind-flying love scene. You know, like, this is supposed to be the culmination and beat the robot, you're Thor. The only way it could be any less brief was if he had, like, texted a picture from up in the air as he flew <laughs> away from her. I mean, it really is like, oh, yeah, okay, I'll take you to fly. Up, down, all right, I'm out of here, peace out. Thanks. This was meaningful, wasn't it? The biggest disappointment for me is once he becomes Thor, I don't know, he causes a strong gust, a tornado, and Destroyer's dead. It wasn't an impressive showing of his powers for me. You know what's been a real problem in all of the action, even the pretty good scene at the opening? PG-13. I feel it. I feel it every time that something's about to happen. You know, if this were any other swords and sandals thing, you would get blood, you would get carnage, you would get death. Here, it's all robots and monster dogs. And it's like they just are backing away from bloodshed. And Thor could be, I think what you were saying earlier, Jacob, is it really could be that kind of gritty, dark, gladiator-style battle. I think it would sell his badassery a lot more if we saw that grit. But because he's fighting robots and romancing a girl, it just feels not of the character. I mean, I don't know the comic book character. Maybe this is perfectly the character, but I don't get the sense of Thor, the classic Norse god at all. And I feel like they've been not able to honor the source material because they're going for this wide audience PG-13 in these action scenes. I enjoyed it. I don't know that I want to see Thor slaughtering a bunch of people. He's already slaughtered a bunch of frogs giants I, I think that the end battle against the destroyer is very brief but it's again he got all that power back we saw how powerful he was at the beginning it needs to be brief to show that he is a badass again if it was a long drawn out battle you'd wonder how cool he really was because now we got to go into another fight that will be long and drawn out so we have to have seen that what he's fighting next is tougher than this destroyer huh the bridge, you mean? When he hits a bridge a bunch? And Loki. He and Loki go to battle. Until he sets his hammer on him and he can't move. Like, come on. Yeah, Loki's not more physically intimidating than the giant robot. It doesn't seem like that's going to be the harder fight to take on here. Loki's got a hologram watch from Total Recall. That's his power. I'm just surprised Renee Russo is still in this. Did you guys notice she's in it? How the hell? I mean, this girl used to be in every movie from the 90s. She was like every big Hollywood movie, every fifth one, Renee Russo popped up in the cast list. And then she totally disappeared for a decade. First of all, I hope at the Marvel Family Reunion, Renee Russo takes Liv Tyler aside and says, this is how you do it gracefully. <laughs> Yeah, Liv, well, I ain't letting you go. Second of all, in the commentary, Kenneth Branagh gushes about Rene Russo and calls her a beautiful woman inside and out. And I wonder if he means that literally, given his <laughs> penchant for sleeping with his leading ladies. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't put it past him. 
But you understand my point. It's like, if you're going to bring somebody out from the past like this, feature them, right? This is like a big kind of get in a way. That's, I mean, not the biggest. I don't want to oversell Renee Russo, but you get what I'm saying. Like, people liked her. She had the credentials as an action star, as a comedy star. They remember her fondly. If you're going to bring her back after 10 years of complete obscurity, it should be for a reason. It should not be for extra work. I don't know. I'm sorry she had to do this movie. <laughs> she had a lot of scenes. They were almost all cut. I didn't even know she was in it until after the movie was over the second time. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. She's not recognizable, and I've seen a lot of Renee Russo films. But I like the fight when we get back. First of all, we haven't discussed Heimdall. There's not a whole lot to say. I do want to say it's that guy from Ghost Rider 2. Idris Elba, he's not from Ghost Rider 2. Please don't credit him as that. He is Stringer Bell from The Wire. He's an amazing actor when he wants to be. And here, I love him just for his physical imposing quality. He does absolutely nothing. I believe he's a bouncer. But, you know, he's got a cool outfit. He's got good moxie. I wouldn't try to break into his club. I like him. I like him, too. I like that he's all-seeing. In addition to just being the guard, he has a magical power that he can see anything except when Loki chooses not to let him. I remember there being a huge flap because they hired a black man, and in the comics he's white. But I can't imagine any actor pulling this off better than Idris Elba. No, I agree. And, you know, it's a multicultural Asgard. It's not a Norse Asgard. Yeah, they have one Asian, too. Yeah, they got the token (laughs) Asian guy. Yeah. But when we get back, Loki is finally ready to do battle with Thor. I don't know quite why. He wants to kill all the frost giants to make his father proud, but yet his father never wanted that. He wanted peace. Yeah. I want to be as bad as Thor is at ruling Asgard. They end up doing physical battle, and I love it because... Loki doesn't turn into a giant thing. He doesn't put on a suit of armor. He doesn't level up. It's been a battle that's been two hours coming or an hour 45. And we want this battle to happen because it's been earned. Because Thor went through hell and died because of this man's trickery. It's time for them to have it out. I want him to have some big magic dog or something. He doesn't have to turn into one, but it's Loki. He's a skinny little 90-pound weakling. Where's the threat to Thor? If he's able to just take out that destroyer with a whirlwind, I need something bigger than Loki. I need Loki to conjure something up. No, this is completely unremarkable. Honestly, I didn't even pay attention to this. This couldn't be more obligatory fight. There's nothing compelling about it at all. I'm like, "Eh, let me know when he's dead and we can find out what happens next in the movie. He uses his hammer to knock down a bridge. That's the climax. It's not even the fight. It's, I'm going to do some construction work now. Yeah, what happens to Loki? Loki falls off the edge of a bridge into the sequel. The Avengers, yeah. uh (laughs) But we don't really know what that is yet. We can only presume he's not dead. He's in a different realm, possibly Earth, and that Thor is cut off. He's protected the people by not allowing Loki entrance again. No, he protected the Frost Giants, because apparently, in addition to being an intergalactic elevator, the Bifrost Bridge could be focused as a weapon and was being used to destroy Jotunheim. It's a Death Star. Yeah. And so, in order to save the Frost Giants, the people who at the beginning of the movie he wanted to kill, Thor must destroy the Bifrost Bridge... But that also means he's trapped in Asgard 
and cannot get back to Jane. Okay, thanks for explaining that. I remember somebody, it was Idris, saying early that it could destroy them while they were there. I didn't understand. I thought that was a setup for something that was going to happen, and then I never saw it, but okay. Did you guys get that, like, from watching that, or was that just something that somebody said and it sunk in? They say it. I got it the first time I watched it. I mean, you see a big laser tearing apart Jotunheim. I don't know why the laser does that, but they said it does, so I believed them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it makes no sense that a bridge is a weapon. Yes, it's confusing. Yeah, I don't get why, I get what. And then we have the ending, and, you know, it's all worked out. Odin, the All-Father, was all-seeing and knew it would come this way. The father now respects the son as the son has learned to respect the father. Very biblical, very Shakespearean. Very Richard Donner Superman. Oh, God, come on. Rano is whoring this whole time. There's nothing Shakespeare about this. He's lying to himself if he thinks this has one shred of Shakespeare in it. And if he did, why isn't he coming back for the sequel? Well, he was going to and then scheduling and budget, primarily budget. Ah, yes, the scheduling (laughs) conflicts. Hey, we saw what happened when Favreau returned for Iron Man 2. Nobody was happy about that. Yeah, I don't think that this is a true reflection of Brano at the peak of his translation powers. I'll say it that way. On the bright side, we didn't have 18 characters we didn't need setting up the next film. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not even sure how it does set up. They have to tell us in the credits. Thor will return in the Avengers. I don't know how. He can't get to Earth. (laughs) Yeah, they strained him on his planet. There's no Death Star bridge to get him to Earth. Are we going to spend half the Avengers getting him back to Earth? Or is he just going to magically be there all of a sudden? I know there's a line where he meets Coulson. He meets the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And he's just like, yeah, I'll do whatever you guys want. But I got to go home right now. Okay. Yeah, and if he does get to Earth, wouldn't he be a little preoccupied with trying to find Natalie Portman? I know she's not in that movie, is she? As far as we know. Okay. I hope that she's never in another Thor movie. Can I just put it that way? She signed for two. No! Really? Odin! I agree. I want Kat Dennings back, but leave Portman. Leave her behind. Save some money. Don't bring this back. No, (laughs) this is a terrible idea. Just let it stay broken and keep Thor in his realm and have the next one there. Or, yeah, Enchantress would be good. There's a lot of ways you could go without Jane. But there is a scene after the credits. And this is what sets up how this all plays into the Avengers. And I, again, know what I saw, but I don't know what the hell's going on. You get this scene, Stellan Skarsgård. He's mentioned earlier he has a friend who has dealt with S.H.I.E.L.D. Well, it turns out that friend is Nick Fury, who happens to run S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm-hmm. And Skarsgård comes down and he's like, I didn't know what was going on. I thought they were bringing me here to kill me. And Fury just stares at him. And I, when I first saw this, got on the edge of my seat. Was Fury going to kill Skarsgård? I really thought that's where it was going. I'm like, oh shit, this is going to get dark. Well, when Skarsgård talks about them, it wasn't complimentary. He remembers a co-worker being snatched and never being seen again. Was he talking about Bruce Banner? Because he says, I had a scientist friend that is doing gamma radiation and they took him away. Yeah, they said he was never seen again. Yeah, it was Bruce Banner. Oh, huh. Was he in Hulk, this character, peripherally? No. It's saying he was a colleague of Banner's back pre-movie when Banner was doing his research. They knew each other. Okay. An associate. They saw each other at conferences, but Uh he wasn't at the lab. Okay, all right. 
And so I really thought they were going to kill him. I didn't know where this was going, but I actually wasn't going to like it if it turned out Nick Fury was the bad guy or something. But no, it turns out he has a briefcase that he got from Marcellus Wallace (laughs) with a powerful energy that lights up in it. It's a device of unlimited power. Did I get that right? Yes. And it was in Tony Stark's sketchbook in Iron Man 2. Okay. When he was looking through Howard Stark's papers. I was just about to say, didn't Iron Man already invent this? Isn't that what he's got in his chest now? Like, do we need another device of unending power? It depends on what you define as power. Is power electricity or is power control? We'll have to find out. I have no idea what this scene means to me. The only thing that made any sense to me was the fact that it's not Stellan Skarsgård at all. It's Loki. He's in disguise. Is he? Oh, absolutely. No, I thought he was under Loki's mind control. Control. Is he? I thought Loki was eavesdropping and then like whispering something and Skarsgård could barely hear it and then echoed it. It's very, very confusing because earlier in the movie, Loki appears and disappears through mirrors right. when Thor is in S.H.I.E.L.D.'s container. So is Loki just eavesdropping? Is Loki shape-shifting into Skarsgård? Is Loki controlling Skarsgård? I don't know. Well, it doesn't really matter. The point is, he observes what's going on. Obviously, this is the MacGuffin. This is the thing he's going to use to be the bad guy in Avengers. It's the fight to get this or to use this to create a situation bad enough that we need five superheroes to fix it. I have to say, thus far, as much as the last teaser at the end of Iron Man 2 was just a trailer for Thor, this is the least compelling after credits thing I've seen, isn't it? I mean, I read the comics. I'm guessing maybe it's the Cosmic Cube. I don't know. I don't know why Loki's there. Is he controlling Eric? No, this is just some stuff that's going to make sense, you know, year later when I see another movie. They could have used some Stark pizzazz. I'll just put it that way. That is the problem is by this point, we've seen Sam Jackson show up at the end. We needed something newer. And I didn't want it to be just a trailer for Captain America. I'm glad they didn't do that the way they did Iron Man 2. Here, I actually left the theater wondering, is Loki controlling Skarsgård? Is Loki Skarsgård? And what is the thing in the box? Because I'd never heard of a cosmic cube. But now it kind of makes sense. And I think it's nowhere near as good as, again, Iron Man 1 or Hulk. But it's better than Iron Man 2's Thor Hammer. So, Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Thor? Jacob, the all-reviewer. There's a line that Hawkeye says to Coulson. You better call it Coulson because I'm starting to root for this guy. Eh, wish I could feel that. I kind of rooted for Thor when he was flying through heads of monsters. I wish I had more of that, but this script is a mess. There's too much in it, and it just doesn't gel together. We got our rom-com. We have our just fish-out-of-water comedy. We have our Lord of the Rings. We have our tough-guy action film. If we thought Iron Man 2 was the beginning of Marvel taking control and saying, this is how our movies are going to be, they're going to neuter their movies, take some of the pizzazz out of Downey, I think this movie, Thor, is the realization of of Marvel taking control and taking the fun out of these superhero movies. I just don't have a lot of fun during this movie. You know when the best thing I have to say about it is Darcy? 
Uh, yeah, that's not a recommend for me. Go watch Two Broke Girls. Kat Dennings is very good on it and very Darcy-like and very dirty. I like it. Stuart. Perspective is everything. You know, if I hadn't been forced at the will of the people last summer to go see Green Lantern, I might be more against this movie than I am. This is Green Lantern, but it's Green Lantern with a credible star at the helm of it. This is what star power is. It teaches you. You can have a very bad story, but it can be a whole lot more palatable if you like the people that you're watching. And that is the case here. Thor is a success at launching the character. It is a failure at making a good movie. So it's a strong not recommend for this movie. But I actually can't condemn it because I like the guy. So I split the difference. It's a mild not recommend for the project. It won't hurt you to watch it. That's Green Lantern. But there's nothing here that's good. There really is no part of this story that's very satisfying beyond some nice art direction, a pretty good opening action scene, and, yeah, stars who could be very good, I'm hoping, in Avengers. I did read somewhere on the internet a line that said, Thor is the best superhero movie of the summer, which tells you really how bad Green Lantern was. So. <laughs> well, next week we're doing Captain America, and that came out the same summer, so I, I hope it wasn't the best. I don't want to watch something worse. Hey, Axemen First Class came out that summer. That is not true, but... That's true. We can all agree. Well, actually, Arnie can agree. Green Lanterns suck. Come on, <laughs> a year later. A year later, Arnie. Come on, just admit it. I bought the Blu-ray, watched the extended cut. I stand by my review. Okay, well, alright. And I have to disagree with my compatriots here. I think you guys are too hard on this movie. Is it a perfect movie? By no means. But we've seen far, far worse, and I've recommended far, far worse. I think this movie isn't as strong as it could be. I feel like it's lacking in a really good villain. I feel like it's somewhat uneven. But I also think that it's a great movie in that it's going to be able to appeal to a lot of different people. It seems to me like you two are going in and you're like of a mindset, I want a superhero movie and a superhero movie must be this. Well, a big problem for studios is that women don't want that kind of superhero movie. They have a hard time getting female viewers into movies unless they have something else to offer. Here, we got a superhero movie combined with a rom-com, combined with a fish-out-of-water story, and that could be toxic if they weren't done right, but because these actors are charming, because I enjoy watching them, I enjoyed all three parts of this. I think, in order, I enjoyed fish-out-of-water first, Thor Thunder God second, rom-com third, but there's no part of this movie I didn't enjoy, there's just some parts I could enjoy more. It's a fairly strong recommend for Thor. I really do think people should give this a shot. And I can't believe you guys are being this hard on it. I'm shocked both of you went not recommend the way you did. I'm stunned. I did not see it going this way. Arnie, if you like your rom-coms mixed with your superhero movies, check out Twilight. That's what it is. And that does get the women to your point. Yeah, no, it definitely feels like it's catering more towards that audience than it would be people that were here for a comic book movie. I don't think people are wrong to want something that is action-oriented in Thor. But yeah, I agree with you. If you're going to like this movie, it's because you like the comedy and the romance of it. The creation of the superhero, the battle of it, all of that's handled so badly. I mean, it's not just bad, it's terrible. I mean, really, it screams terrible, this script. No. It screams mediocre to me. Uh, it's That's not a recommend. It's not Green Lantern. 
Yeah, it's not Green Lantern, and I recommended Green Lantern. And the other thing about this movie is I've watched it now three times. Every time I watch it, there's new things I find in it that I like more. It really does come down to these personalities. There's one scene where Kat Dennings is taking a picture of Thor as he's eating pancakes, and she says, I want to put this on Facebook. And he, like, smiles this silly-ass smile. I can't help but laugh out loud every time that scene comes up. I find this movie amusing, and that's what I want, and that's what makes it a recommend. Am I entertained? Hell yes, recommend. Yeah, but you understand my point. It is a shocker for people that thought they were getting Thor, God of Thunder. If you want that movie, it isn't here. This is a more expensive version of the Hulk movie. It definitely feels more akin to that TV movie than I was prepared. Well, there's one more thing that came with the Blu-ray of Thor. They're trying to smooth out some things and tease us even more for Avengers by putting little mini-movies on the Blu-rays of Thor and Captain America that tie into Avengers. They star Agent Coulson, and the one on Thor is called The Consultant, and it's all about Tony Stark and his scene in Hulk that helps that all make sense. Didn't we have questions at the end of that one? Exactly who was he trying to recruit onto the team? We did, because to a lot of people it made sense that he'd be trying to recruit Blonsky. Blonsky was military. S.H.I.E.L.D. is government. Banner's a rogue that nobody can catch. Why would he be going to Ross about Banner unless... The thing that was said back then, and I think I said this in the Hulk podcast, they weren't sure if Hulk might be the villain of Avengers. So maybe he was going to recruit somebody. Maybe he was going to Ross saying, we have a team that can help you with your problem. But in the consultants, we find out that in order for the Avengers initiative to be going forward, whoever the powers that be are, the World Security Council is the ones putting S.H.I.E.L.D. together and say they approve of the Avenger initiative, but you must have Blonsky, the abomination, on the team. Was that like the Russian part of the council? They wanted their representative? Oh, no, wait, he's English in that. <laughs> and he's in the U.S. Army, so... <laughs> I never thought Abomination would be joining the team. This all seems like it's made for an audience that isn't me. I never took it to mean that Stark was looking to recruit anyone other than Hulk. Hulk is on the Avengers. Stark is there to convince William Hurt to give him Hulk. I didn't know Abomination was still alive. I guess it's good to know that he's still among us and obviously needing work. <laughs> well, furthermore, he's not even trying to recruit Blonsky. They know if they send Stark in that Ross will turn him down. Cause I don't know why you recruit the guy that tore up Harlem, but that's just me. I mean, Hulk is not that destructive or malicious. They actually explain that away because these two agents, the whole thing is told between Coulson and another agent sitting in a diner. I think it's the diner from Thor, isn't it? Isn't that like the diner where Thor broke the coffee cup? I don't know. It's a diner. But they're sitting in a diner and they're asked, what about the Harlem incident? Apparently the World Security Council blames the Harlem incident completely on Hulk. Mm, okay. The S.H.I.E.L.D. agents know better, and so they send in Stark because they want somebody so abrasive and obnoxious that it'll piss off Ross. And really, from what we know of these two characters' personalities, that's about how it would go. So that is why he is the consultant from Iron Man 2, and that explains when, I guess, and how and what was going on in that Hulk scene, so Avengers the movie doesn't have to. I don't know if anyone's asking that question by the time the Avengers get out, but I guess there's hardcore completists that keep 
timelines on the internet and they're complaining about it and they want that explained away. Yeah. There are the people that bought the Blu-ray. I mean, this was an extra feature specifically on the Blu-ray, not even the DVD. So it's a way of giving you something new if you spend that extra cash. And hey, we understand that mentality around here, don't we? (laughs) We do. We still have our Alien series for people who donate $10 or more and the Spielberg series for those who donate 25 or more. You can find all the details at our homepage at nowplayingpodcast.com. So, Stuart, Jacob, thank you for joining me, and we will be back. We are two weeks from Avengers, baby. Two weeks. I'm not hyped, but I'm sure, like I've said at the beginning of every one of these, well, I know I'll be at an opening weekend because of this, but you'd go anyway, dude. You're going to look like the worst movie. (laughs) I would. I would. I'll be sitting there on Saturday and go, oh, I want to see it. I'll break. My eight-year-old me will come out and go drag me to it. Yeah, I think it's a testament that I'm not against seeing it. Even though Thor didn't work for me and Incredible Hulk wasn't quite right, I feel like the chance for these characters seeing them again, I'm still game. I'm very curious how they're going to pull it off. And I'm curious for Captain America next week because this is the one I haven't seen yet. I was burned out by superhero movies last summer. This was the last one to come out. Haven't seen it. And I got hopes. I like World War II Captain America fighting Nazis, and that's what it looks like. So I'm excited for next week. And we'll talk to you then. Avengers Assemble! is lost to us. No. There is always hope. Can you see her? (laughs) Yes. How is she? Thank you for listening to this episode of the now playing Avengers Retrospective Series. We're adjourned. We're adjourned for the day. Okay. You've been a delight. Part of our Marvel Comics Movie Retrospective Series. This is a whole new level of weird. I don't feel inclined to step away from it. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we review another movie based on the Marvel Comics through the release of The Avengers this May. Your work has impressed a lot of people who are much smarter than I am. And be sure to visit Venganza Media Gazette at VenganzaMedia.com forward slash gazette to read Arnie's reviews of every episode of The Incredible Hulk TV series. A new review is posted every day. God bless you, brother. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, go to our archives, where you can find reviews of other Marvel Comics movie series, such as X-Men, The Fantastic Four, Blade, and Punisher, plus reviews of The Avengers' early works, like the Bill Bixby Incredible Hulk movies and the Captain America TV movies. Good luck keeping up. We also have non-comic-based movie reviews, such as Star Trek, Terminator, Halloween, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Tron, and many more. Guys, I'm bringing the party to you. You will also find individual movie reviews such as Green Lantern, Cowboys and Aliens, Avatar, and Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. We made this thing, all of us. Please, 
while at nowplayingpodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss this show with other listeners. Here we remain as a beacon of hope, shining out across the stars. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. You've seen what he becomes, right? I have. And it's beautiful. Godlike. The links to our social media pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Therefore, what I'm saying, if I'm saying anything, is welcome back. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. You have to explain that statement, sir. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Is it too much of a problem to ask? Because I'm, I'm... Okay, okay. I really need your help here. You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy t-shirts, totes, boxers, coffee mugs, teddy bears, and much more. Get yourself something nice for me. I already did. And? Oh, it's very nice. Yeah. Very tasteful. Now Playing's Avengers Retrospective Series is edited by Arnie. I've moved on to the next one, because that's what we do, right? I mean, that's the job. Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. Wow. You spoke to me with what you did, and I know that you knew that I'd be listening. Now Playing is not affiliated with Marvel Enterprises or Marvel Studios, Paramount Pictures, Universal Pictures, or the Disney Company. The Avengers, Captain America, Iron Man, Thor, The Incredible Hulk, and all that the Marvel Universe contains are the property and trademark of the Disney Company, and no infringement is intended. You really think that just because you have an idea, it belongs to you? The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Inganza Media Incorporated. Just stick to the official statement and soon this will all be behind you. Now Playing is a Inganza Media production, copyright 2012, all rights reserved. Any last words? Hulk! Smash! <laughs> Someday, perhaps, I shall make you proud. You've already made me proud. Another! The Asgardians are a race that live in a realm called Asgard. There are... (laughs) (laughs) You didn't say Asgard. That's all I'm going to say. (laughs) You need one of those if you go to prison. (laughs) <laughs> well, I gotta ask. Which Thor kind of looks like he's been. He kind of <laughs> got that, got that look in his eye sometimes. Listen, there's Asgard. There's the Bifrost Bridge. That's a rainbow, <laughs> bridge. a rainbow bridge. What the hell? Actual Norse mythology. You know how those Europeans are. <laughs> Much more progressive than us in the 900s. <laughs> I think they go back further than that too. But the Asgard. Another. The Homo Frost. The Hetero Frost. Yeah, it, it feels like sexual preference at this point. Uh, let's just say, yeah, the, the, the cold dude. Another! As well as Frost Giant King Laurie's son, Lohis. Frost Giant... Laugh? I thought it was Laffy. Laffy? <laughs> no, it's like pronounced Laffy. That's because the whole time I was like, Laffy, Laffy. And then when I looked it up, it wasn't spelled like that. As well as Frost Giant King Laffy's son. I'm just going to kind of mumble and slur all the names <laughs> and it'll be good enough. You could just say the king's son, but you know, you don't have to get the proper names, but just Odin to be Ra- up to six. Another! 
he also sends Thor's hammer Molnir Molnir Mjolnir Mjolnir. Another. <laughs> we open this movie with the scene of Thor's coronation, and I have no, to. No, we s- don't. No. Nope. No. Oh, we. Oh, the whole big backstory. No, no. Here. What are you talking about? Let let, let me introduce. Yeah. Okay. We. That's right. Are there different I versions? forgot about this. Okay. <laughs> it's actually, a half hour so, in New Mexico. Because I. Well, no, it's not a half hour, but I got. I got. Yeah, I got something yeah. to introduce uh, it if you want, or yeah. if you. Got I, I actually I have something here that I'd forgotten because I blanked out that whole you know thing. Okay. Natalie Portman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say some unpopular things on this podcast about the Queen. Another. Next, we get the whole backstory of Asgard. It's Asgard. As. As. Not Asgard. Here's the thing. I didn't know it's Asgard. I really thought it was an S. Asgard. Alright, you can say that. You're laughing. I mean, you know, when you say that, do you not feel like you might have offended someone? It sounds like you're trying to make a joke. I'm truthfully not. It is truthfully just. Asgard. Yeah. Another. I don't want to call it Jodenheim. I get embarrassed when I say it. it just feels like a dumb name. But yeah, Yodaheim. What what is it? <laughs> Yodaheim. <laughs> Yodaheim and Asgard. I, you can't say Asgard, and I can't say Jodenheim. <laughs> so here we are. Another. Quick aside: when they're talking about the nine realms, didn't they say the third one was Anaheim? <laughs> They might have. I've been there. It's not pretty. I don't go behind the orange curtain too often. Another. You know, he's tight, but he's not going to be on the cover of Bodybuilding Quarterly or whatever that magazine is. Probably not quarterly. <laughs> I don't know what the way you got a subscription, no, Johnny? Yeah. Um. Another. I mean, he's the one that gets punished for you know going. To the what's it called? God, don't make me say it. Yodenheim. Yeah. Another. By the time Hawkeye, I almost said Bullseye. Another. Proud. It's basically it's your move as Guardian style. I don't know that anyone. No one will get that reference, Arnie. But <laughs> I don't get that reference. <laughs> yeah. No I, I enjoy putting out the five percenter jokes. Uh, I'm not what, sure what, what, what did no. you say? <laughs> it's, it's your, your move. Wh- it's your move. You know, that 80s sitcom with oh, Justin okay. ba- or Justin Bateman. What Jason name? Bateman. Jason Bateman. Bateman. It yeah. lasted a season and a half. Yeah. And Arnie will review it all on the blog one day. <laughs> it would be shorter started. than... Hulk! Oh, my God. Another! Yeah. I want to be as bad as Thor is at ruling uh, Asgard. Now you called it Asgard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I did. <laughs> but they another Jacobson. Like that's like I, I, I thought we were getting into Karate Kid mode. He there had Daniel's on Jacobson. <laughs> another Natalie Hort- Portman playing <laughs> Natalie Hortman. <laughs> <laughs> another 